Hi, it's Kate Brownfield from ADHDKidsCanThrive.com. Thank you for listening. My guest today is Jesse J. Anderson. He is an author of a new book titled Extra Focus. He is a social media creator, influencer, and ADHD advocate. He has ADHD himself and is a parent of an ADHD child. In my conversation today with Jesse, he shares his own vulnerability with his struggles related to ADHD, along with insight on what works and doesn't work for him and his family. Lots to learn in this conversation. Please enjoy. Hi, Jesse. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, thank you so much for uh, having me. This is great. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you again about your new book because you're an author of a very successful book called Extra Focus. And I wanted to join you to share your book with others. But as I have always said about you, when I was raising my own son who had ADHD, I had come across you somewhere along the line on social media. And I just felt like the guidance and the insights that you shared about what it is like to have ADHD was very helpful information to give me as a parent of an ADHD. So I really always appreciate you. Oh, that's so awesome. That's really cool to hear. I mean, I, yeah, like it's amazing knowing that I'm able to impact not just the people that see my stuff, but then like you're saying, like your son being impacted by the work I'm doing, like that is an incredible feeling. Like I love, I love hearing that sort of stuff. It's yeah, so, it's great. Awesome. Really and I'll give a, I'll give the audience another hot tip as parents of an ADHD kid is I feel like too, because you're, because of your gender as a man, it, it helps the dads. I think mm. dads distill information differently than the moms do. And for you being a man and a dad yourself, that the the dads in the family can really benefit from listening to you because I think of just the way you present yourself because of who you are, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very helpful for the men in the family too, to listen to you. Awesome, okay, so cool. well, I really appreciate that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's start kind of from the beginning. If you can just give everybody kind of an update of what your own personal journey is of having ADHD and kind of how that art looked for you as you grew up. Totally, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I was definitely was not ever diagnosed as a kid. I don't, I never even heard it mentioned as like a thought. And part of that I think was because I wasn't super hyperactive. I did have some hyperactive symptoms, but I wasn't like running in circles in class. But what I did see very consistently, like every uh, report card was saying, you know, has all this great potential that he's not, you know, not following through on or like always late, messy, you know, messy handwriting, messy desk, like everything's always late all the time. And just a lot of those things, you know, pleasure to have in class, but doesn't get any homework done. Like all these like things that were like, it was like a lot of mixed signal of like, a lot of these things are telling me that I'm smart and that I should be doing better than I am, but I don't know why. Like there's nowhere, there's nothing to say what the problem is. And so everyone's just sort of saying like, oh, he must be lazy or he must be, I don't know, selfish or like all those kind of like negative labels that you often hear. And I didn't have anywhere else to aim that. I was like, no, it's not that. It's this other thing. So it's like this constant my intentions being like misconstrued by author authority figures and stuff like that. 
So yeah, so I, I I felt like I always knew, I think because of that, I always knew that like my brain was different. I just didn't know there was a name for it. <laughs> it oh, interesting. Felt, yeah, it always felt like my, like I was broken or something somehow, and I didn't know why. And there was a little part of me that sort of thought that maybe this is just like an Anderson thing because like my dad is kind of has a lot of these things in common with me and my brother does. And lo and behold, now I know like, well, that's because we all have ADHD <laughs> in this family. So that's why we uh, had some of those similarities. But yeah, so I struggled. One, one thing I struggled to make friends, especially like in elementary school. I was I just I, I didn't make friends really well. Except I would make friends with like the, the like the quote unquote loser, you know, like the other kid that wasn't making good friends. And then because like really common with ADHD is having like justice sensitivity, I would get in fights all the time in elementary school because someone would pick on my friend and then I would jump into battle. Like I wasn't a good fighter, but I would jump into a fight like immediately because I was like, that's not fair to like pick on this kid that doesn't, you know, for no reason. Oh, yeah. So anyway, that elementary school was just kind of crazy because of all that. And then in sixth grade, I met a friend who became like my best friend through the rest of school, who also has ADHD, which wasn't diagnosed. We had no idea at the time, but like the I'll, I'll try to make this a little bit shorter, but we were in sixth grade together and the teacher had the seating chart and had the two of us sitting next to each other. So that's where we first like became really good friends. And then I remember like we were we talked to each other just like all the time throughout class when you weren't supposed to be. Yeah. And so our teacher tried like separating us and put us on opposite sides of the classroom. And we still just talked to each other, like over the classroom to each other during tests. And it was bad. So she, she was just like, I just need to keep them together and they're going to be talking the whole time, but at least they'll be kind of off in the corner and not talking across the whole classroom. <laughs> That's so. Sad. Anyway, so I that was sort of like school and it was really great having that friend because it was like, oh, we understand each other. So many other people don't, but we're the two of us are really like in sync. And then I guess it was probably like 20 years later or something when I was in my mid 30s, he was diagnosed. So he got diagnosed with ADHD and his wife and uh, my wife were really good friends at that time. And so when he got diagnosed, the wives started talking and my wife was like, these all sound really familiar <laughs> and kind of told me like, hey, I, I'm not going to tell you that you have ADHD because then you'll like rebel or something probably, but you should maybe look into some of the symptoms. And at the time I was like, no, like I, I think like a lot of people, you know, ADHD has this PR problem where like everyone's heard of it, but everyone has kind of like a misconstrued idea. Yeah. Of what well, it is. And everybody has a little bit. It's relatable. Everyone can yeah, relate to a teeny sure. bits of it, which mm -hmm. is why I think it gets so confusing. But totally. okay, so you're in your mid 30s until you got yeah. diagnosed. Yeah. And at, at the time, I, I was like, I can't have ADHD because I have no problem focusing on things that are interesting to me, which if you know ADHD is hilarious because that's like, yeah, that's the thing when you have ADHD. <laughs> that's what you can focus on is the things that are interesting so that kind of started my whole journey. So that was about like seven years ago when I found that out. And I was lucky in that I was fairly getting diagnosed. Like it, I was calling around a lot and getting a lot of like, sorry, we only see children. Like we don't see adults for ADHD. But once I did find somebody, the process was pretty quick for me to get sort of that official diagnosis. Yeah. Okay. And so how did that impact you? Because then you turned into 
an ADHD advocate and author. Yeah. How did so, that happen? <laughs> right. Like I, I know I hear from like other authors that are always that have said like, oh, I always knew that I wanted to write a book or something like that. And that not my plans at all. I had no, I was, I, I enjoyed the work I was doing as a, like a software developer and designer had no aspirations to write or do anything like that. But then I got diagnosed and it was so, it was just like such an epiphany for my, my, just my whole worldview of like this thing explains so much of my life. Like so many like reasons why I did things that I couldn't explain. Like people would I'd exhibit some behavior and someone would say, well, why'd you do it like that? Or why did you do this? And I didn't have a good answer. I was just like, that's just how my brain works. I don't know. And so finding out that answer was hugely impactful for me. And at the time, like when I got diagnosed, I just sort of became a student of my own brain. I was like, I'm going to learn everything I can about this. And there wasn't a ton of resources at the time. There was like the book by Edward Hallowell, but it was like 20 years of the whole time. Great, great book, yeah. Driven to Distraction. But it was like 20 years old at that time. And so there was some stuff that was out of date. So Jessica McCabe had like just started her How to ADHD channel, which is great and I highly recommend. But there really wasn't a lot of content available. And so I was just like desperately kind of seeking, trying to find anything I could about ADHD to learn just for myself. I was just trying to learn about my own brain. And then I think it was like within a year of when I got diagnosed, my daughter ended up getting diagnosed as well. So then that was even more like, oh, we really want to learn this. Oh, and there was also, there's a really, there's a great lecture series by Dr. Russell Barkley. That was another thing that was like one of those early, really helped me understand ADHD a lot better. But yeah, so for a few years, it was just like trying to learn about ADHD because it's learning about me. Like, it's not just like a hobby that's interesting for a little bit. It's like, this is going to be useful for the rest of my life because this is how my brain works yeah. and how my daughter's brain work works right. and all of that. And so, yeah, so that was what happened when I got diagnosed. And that was probably for a few years. And then about three years ago, I... Because like, I don't, again, I don't know why I did this, but there was a, a writing challenge online where it was like, Hey, sign up for this challenge and write an essay every day for 30 days. And so I was, for some reason, I thought that sounded <laughs> fun. Like part of my brain always loves a good challenge like that. I think. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So like I the game, up, they gamified it. Yes, exactly. Cause like, if it was, cause that's the sort of thing that would be like in school, it'd be like, oh, that sounds awful. Never yes. would want to do that. <laughs> but somehow there was like this challenge of it, the game of it. And there was like community. So everyone was sort of doing it together, which really helped a lot. But yeah, so I signed up for the challenge and I had different topics I was going to write about. Like, like I mentioned, I'm a designer. So I was like, oh, I could write some things about design. And they definitely have a few things about ADHD, I want to say. So I had all these different topics and I wrote like two or three things about ADHD. And I was like, Oh, this is all I want to write about. Forget the other topics. I'm just going to write about ADHD the whole time. And that really kind of sparked it. And then I at the same time, like halfway through that challenge, I started my newsletter, because a lot of other people in the challenge were like, other kind of entrepreneur types that said, Hey, you should start a newsletter. And I was like, sure, why not? I'll kind of do that too. And that really sort of sparked what the last three years have looked like of just like, writing content online, like sharing about ADHD. And then like what I've, I think I'm probably mostly kind of known for is just like making lots of like, like self-deprecating jokes a little bit about what it's like living with ADHD. So sort of like little meme tweets and things like that. Yeah, so that you make kinda, it very yeah. relatable. 
Yeah, that's, that's you that's have a very good way of making it relatable. <laughs> right. I, I, I feel like I feel like I get a lot of feedback that's like I feel both seen and attacked in like a joking sort of way because yes. it's like like I, I feel like I've been I've been able to kind of like like I said, kind of self-deprecating, like openly be vulnerable about vulnerable about my own struggles in sort of a humorous way that other people really relate to because I think it's so uncommon to just to talk about that stuff openly and so yes. i think it's really like sort of connected with people which has been awesome and i feel like i feel really lucky that i happen to have a voice that is working to really help people understand adhd better yeah good for you it's an amazing journey yeah it's okay been fun <laughs> so let's dive into kind of some things that you talk about like in the book and what your mantra is as a adhd author and advocate now which is this whole topic about toxic productivity. Mm. Why doesn't that work for an ADHD person? Yeah. So I, because I had ADHD and didn't know it for so long, I struggled with trying to like, I tried all the productivity systems because I was just like, I'm struggling to get motivated to do things. I'm struggling with finishing stuff. I'm like, how do I, how do I fix this? And so I read all the different different books on productivity and especially in like the early 2000s there was a really big like online scene with in the like getting things done world so there was like a lot of blogs that were you know in the very early heyday of blogs there's a lot of like blogs on productivity and stuff like that and I ate it all up but then I found it just didn't really work for me and yeah. so it ended up being this really toxic situation because I felt like like I was reading all this stuff and it seemed like it was working really well for everyone else and it just wasn't working for me and so that and then that just sort of continued continued the like the self-blame and like the shame of like what is wrong with me that this stuff that seems to be working for everybody else is making me feel worse it's not not only not helping me but it's making me feel worse about the things I'm trying to do because I'm putting in all this time and this work and like, wow, what's wrong with me? Why doesn't it work? And one of the things I learned that I talk about a lot in the book is how like people with ADHD, our, our motivation works like on a completely different, with a completely different framework than most people or, you know, neurotypical people. And so a lot of productivity advice is for people with a neurotypical brain. And so it's based kind of primarily on three things which is like importance, rewards, and consequences. And so when you're looking at any sort of like existing productivity system, mostly those systems are about like, how can you reward yourself when you do a task? And how can you have consequences if you don't? And most importantly, like, how do you know what's the most important thing to be doing right now? It's like the systems are all about like rising up the important thing so that you know what you should be working on which right. makes a lot of sense. Like logically, I'm like, clear. Yeah, that makes sense. But knowing the most important thing does not motivate me at all. Like, right. it's like I see it and now I'm going to avoid it and do the other things that are interesting to me. And that interest is really key to what is motivating an ADHD brain. And so in the book, it's, it's based on an idea by Dr. William Dodson, which he calls the uh, interest-based nervous system. And I sort of rebranded a little bit in the book and I call it the four C's of motivation just because it helped me remember what the four kind of things were. And so those just sort of real quickly is it's captivate, create, compete, and complete. 
And what those stand for, like captivate is things that are interesting. So like when I'm into a new hobby, like that's really interesting and I'm enjoying that thing. Or if it's some like top, like I'm a big fan of Star Wars. So if I'm doing something related to Star Wars, that's interesting to me. So I like, I'm really, it's really that motivation is like intrinsic around topics that are interesting to me. And the second one, create, that's all about like things that are creative and novel. So things that are new, like using a new to-do app, it's really easy to try and use a new to-do app because it's all novel and new. And the same with like brainstorming or coming up with new ideas. Like I come up with new ideas all the time because that's really motivating. Like my brain is like intrinsically like motivated to do things that are creative. Yeah. The third one, compete. And this one's all about like challenge. Again, that's why I did the writing challenge. Like that was motivating. There is like, it's kind of a challenge in that Goldilocks zone where it's like, it's not so hard that it feels impossible because then I might shut down, but it's like right, right on, right on that edge where it's like, this is like a, like, it's almost like a puzzle of, of getting something done. And that feels fun. Like it's sort of like, if someone ever tells me like, oh, you can't do that. That's not possible. Like yeah, right. That now like everything within my being wants to prove you wrong and show you that it is possible. Like there's something about that challenge that I that I yeah, just kind of want to rise up to. So that's captivate, create, compete, and then the final one, complete. And that's all about due dates, deadlines, that like urgency. The classic example is, you know, when a teacher gave me an assignment and said, Hey, this paper is due in two months. I ignored it for, you know, one month, 29 days. And then that very last, like the night before, I frantically, now it's now it's urgent and I know it's got to be complete the next day. So that urgency shows up and the motivation kind of shows up with it. And so then I would just frantically work the night before on that paper. And that was like basically every paper I did in school was written the night before it was more. due because that's when that motivation showed up for me. So yeah, so that's kind of the like the neurotypical motivation. Primarily, that importance rewards consequences. Whereas with ADHD, it's primarily those four C's: the captivate, create, compete, and complete. Yeah. Okay. So I love that, and I loved reading about that because I think as parents with kids who are in school, which is what their main livelihood is, right um, until yeah. they're at least 18 is like these kind of four C's I feel like can help reframe it for parents mm. to help their child. I mean, I wish teachers would kind of embrace this kind of thinking too, because it probably help more kids than just the ADHD kids. Totally. Yeah. Right. On how to like get through, you know, how to make academics a little bit more doable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had like a couple thoughts on that. Like one, I had a teacher, a math teacher in junior high who, you know, I don't know if she knew anything about ADHD, but she could see how my brain worked differently. And what she did was she would give me, she would give me like kind of like a mini workbook that I could work on ahead of time. And if I finished it, then she had like all these like challenge, like different math based challenges and things like that. And she knew that that like excited my brain. Like I enjoyed like trying to solve puzzles and stuff like that. And so because, and she also saw like the thing I had all through school is like, I would ace my tests and then I just wouldn't do any homework because the, the homework, I couldn't get myself to do it. And so I'd end up with like C's and D's in a lot of classes. Would because, you get penalized for not doing the homework? Yeah. They would, they would say like the homework is 40% of your grade. Yeah. And so, okay. Cause like, that's the way it is still to this day, oh, oh, which is worse against kids. Yeah. Okay. Totally, so it totally. would hurt your grade, your overall grade. Yes. Yeah. But luckily for me, and I know not everyone with ADHD is this way, but I, I tests, I think felt again, like a challenge, like a puzzle. And so I 
like all through i mean it was a little different in college then it got challenging but like all through like like elementary through high school i basically got an a like 100 on almost every test i took because that was just that for whatever reason that was easy for me and so because of that i think i kind of was able to like i was never failing a class i was like always skating by enough because i was testing really well but like you mentioned like the four c's for like parents like yeah i use that all the time for my kids because I'm seeing them, you know, deal with the same challenge I did, like trying to get, you know, trying to encourage my daughter <laughs> to do her math homework is hard work. But I bring in the four C's to really help, like, yeah, help encourage her brain to find the motivation to get stuff done. And so we're always going through, like, how can we make this creative? And so, like, that one is particular because, like, the creativity and the novelty like you can do really little things that make it more novel that isn't going to work every time. But so one thing we'll do is like, ooh, on this page, let's start backwards and skip every other problem. And that's just like enough of that novelty that sort of like makes oh, it a little tip. bit more interesting. And that's something like it's not going to work like five times in a row, but it might work tonight and maybe tomorrow. And then it might work right. again in like three weeks. And it's all about kind of finding like different creative ways to make it a little bit more interesting rather than just like staring at problem number one for forever. <laughs> <laughs> that's great advice. That's true wisdom. And the challenge is then for the parents to come up with the ideas. But I think if you can think out of the box... It's just well worth it for helping the kids. Totally. And the, there's a lot school. of things. Yeah, there's a lot of things, too. You can do like sticker charts and stuff like that, which can be helpful. But it's very much you kind of have to come go with the approach of like, this isn't the solution for like this problem. Like this is the solution for today. And maybe it'll work for a week. And if it does, amazing. The day it doesn't work, it's like, all right, throw it out. And now we got to find something new. And again, like that can come back later. Like maybe don't throw it out, like throw that in a drawer for a few months or a few <laughs> weeks or something. But it's all about like just knowing, because this is again with the toxic productivity, like I spent so much time trying to build the pers the perfect productivity system that I thought was going to last me for 10 years or whatever. And that's just like not how my brain works. Like even though I'm really excited while I'm building it. Like a week later, I'm like, oh, this is now it now it feels like structure and I feel like constrained by it. Yeah. And so it's all about like mixing it up and trying new things. Like I really think of all the different like ADHD strategies. And I talk about this in the book. Like I really think about it kind of like in sports. Like if you if you're playing football and you've got your playbook, you don't keep trying the same play over and over and over again. You're mixing it up and you might find like, oh, none of the run plays are working against this team. So we need to try passing. We need to go flip to a totally different part of the playbook and try a whole new series of plays and be, and then you'll go the very next week maybe you're facing a different team and you're like oh now we're going back to those run plays like those are going to work for this situation and i really that's what i think about with my different strategies for adhd just like very much roll with the punches don't feel bad because i think that's the thing that's where it becomes toxic is like feeling bad when something doesn't work yeah like don't feel bad just roll with it and know that like oh all right time to try something new here <laughs> yeah <laughs> pivot yes yeah. i think as parents that's great advice too they just gotta like ch be changing it up and mixing it up it's just not gonna stay consistent right totally that doesn't work you want to do the opposite of consistency okay mm -hmm. so when i was preparing for this interview i you talked a little bit about pomodoro time 
versus a time timer. And I thought this was fascinating. So yeah. can you give us some insight around that? Yeah. So Tell the Pomodoro, the Pomodoro technique, I think Pomodoro just means like tomato because there's like, there used to be like this famous tomato timer. But anyway, the Pomodoro technique is the idea of, I think officially it's supposed to be like, you work for 25 minutes and then you take five minutes as like a break. And so you set a timer. So no matter what you're doing in the work, like that timer goes off after 25 minutes and then you take a break for five minutes and then you come back. I, which I think is great. It's a great model to kind of start with. I think that those numbers, you can make those kind of whatever you want. Like for me, 25 minutes felt too short. Like I like to really get into something. So a lot of times I will set the timer for like 50 minutes and then maybe take a longer break, like a 15, 20 minute break. And my daughter for her, like doing homework, we do the opposite. We do like five minutes of doing math homework and then five minutes of drawing cats or dogs or something like whatever thing she's really into drawing at the time. And that, and with that, you mentioned like the time timer, if you don't have a time timer, you've got to get a time timer. It's such a great device. I normally have one on my desk. I don't have it here to hold up, but it's... I have it for this interview. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So <laughs> the great thing about a time timer is it, like the ADHD brain, I think really struggles to perceive time. Right. Like it just feels like it's just so amorphous. And it's like, I have no idea how much time has passed. Estimating time is really, really difficult. But with the time timer and other visual timers like it, it gives you a physical representation of time. It's not just a hand moving, but like you saw when you held it up, like it, it shows you like a piece of pie that's shrinking over time. Yeah. And that is so helpful for people with ADHD to be able to like have something visual represent like a physical representation of the passing of time. And so I, all I, I'm like I said, I normally have it on my desk because I'm using it all the time, always having timers going because otherwise, like I don't, I, I'll start working on something and I don't know if I'm going to work on it for 10 minutes or like six hours. And I won't know until like I break away and I'm like, oh, how much time passed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so do you so. use both strategies? Like, yeah, so I use, I sort of use them in combination a lot. Yeah. Like I'll use I'll use the the visual timer to help me kind of track the yeah the time passing the twenty minutes fifty minutes whatever it is, and then the break I find is is really helpful. Although I will sometimes now that like sometimes I'll decide to not do a break like if I'm really into something like I still like the timer because it causes me to like pause and reflect, and so like the timer goes off and I take a moment like is this what I should be doing? Like, is this what I want to be doing with my time right now? Like take this moment, do I want to continue this or is there something else I could go do instead? And then just because otherwise I'll spend six hours and then get to the end of six hours and look back and be like, why did I spend six hours doing that? (laughs) That is not where I wish my time had gone. So having like that visual timer to sort of remind me to take breaks or just reflect on if this is where I want to be spending my time. Okay, interesting. Okay. Good advice. All right. So Jesse, as we wrap up, it's primarily parents who are listening or educators or people who support kids with ADHD. What kind of wisdom would you have for those parents? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest, most important thing that any sort of like authority figure can do for a child with ADHD is just encouragement, positivity. Like there's 
it's not it's not based on a study, but there's like an estimate by I think it was a Harvard professor that the kids with ADHD hear like 20,000 more negative messages than their peers by the age of 10. And there's and I live that like that does that number doesn't sound surprising to me. Like it's just so much of the like, hurry up. Are you done yet? Why'd you do it like that? There's just so much of that like negativity that's happening a lot. And so anytime you do get that positive reinforcement, it's like rocket fuel and it's like, or, or like a, you know, like a life preserver, it's like so impactful. And I know like if someone tells me like, oh, wow, Jesse, you're doing, you're doing such a good job at a, you know, this thing over here. Well, man, do I want to do even better at that (laughs) thing? Like that is so like that positive energy. I'm like, yeah, I am doing good at that. And I want to do even better. Like it's really encouraging And one thing sort of related with that, I think it's really tempting as a parent when like a child with ADHD like is doing an activity and they forget one thing, it's really tempting to want to point out the thing like, oh, you almost did everything. You just missed this one little thing. But then that's all they're going to take away. The all, all they hear is I didn't do the thing right again. Like it's, it becomes, even if everything else we're saying is positive, it becomes this really kind of negative takeaway. So I when unless it's like it really matters i highly encourage like let the thing go just sort of let the thing go and give them that positive reinforcement that positive encouragement because that's going to make them want to like feel better get that positive energy that they're that that they're not getting enough of and make them want to do the thing again and again so that's what i would yeah i'd love to leave kind of parents and other authority figures with of how to really encourage uh, kids with adhd yeah it's great Thank you, Jesse. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, This was uh, another great conversation. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) Thank you.